Hello and welcome back to the Yoga Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Sondergaard. Thanks so much for being here, everyone. If you're new to the show, Yoga Magic is a podcast all about self-care, self-discovery. I'm a longtime yoga teacher. I'm a health coach, and I love to experiment in the world of self-care, and I love to teach others about it, and I'd love to hear from others who are you know, experts in this area as well. And yoga was really that catalyst for me. It was that first practice that woke me up and said, oh my gosh, like you can live your best life. It feels really good. You're totally allowed to do that. And now each week I try to bring different ideas to you on on these topics of self-care and self-discovery. Today is a fun episode. It's just me on the mic sharing some ideas around energy, around how you can have more energy, ways that you can boost your energy, some energy um, sucks that might come up in your life, ways to set some boundaries. These are all my personal experience and my knowledge as a health coach. But what's really fun about figuring out how you can stay energized is that it is pretty individualized. So I'm going to give tons of ideas your way and you get to experiment and really see what works for you. Also, friends, this is the first episode in which I'm going to be giving some astrological updates and a self-care tip for the week ahead. So I thought it would be really fun each week to bring some ideas your way around what's happening in the sky and how you can use that in the given week, what little practice you can try on, self-care, self-discovery, so that you can embrace that energy. If you're new to astrology, you probably aren't aware that astrology always has a light and a shadow. Any astrological event can be really fun. It can be amazing. It can be, you know, empowering. And it can also be really hard. And we get to figure out how do we show up? How do we work with what's happening as it comes our way in order to lean into that light side and to grow through the challenge, but still come out in a more positive expression on the other side. So we don't have to be afraid of astrology. We don't have to control it because frankly, we can't. There's no way that we can do that. Rather, we get to work with the energy that is, is coming our way. So just a shorty little astrology update for what's coming up in the week ahead and a tip, a little self-care tip that you can use to embrace that energy. And then another little segment that I'm adding in to the show once a month is that I'll be giving my monthly book update. I did it last month. I'm going to do it again because you all are reading just like me. You're reading all the things. Don't worry. There's still going to be lots of interview episodes, lots that are already recorded in the pipeline from amazing guests, but I wanted to bring more authentic conversation your way, more just sharing what's working in my life and things that I've been able to try on and hopefully something you can try on as well. All right, so let's talk about the astrology ahead for the week. So a little recap, if you're new to working with astrology in this way, we can't control what's happening in the sky. We can't control the full moons, the Mercury retrogrades, all the things that are happening at any given time. What's personalized to us is our birth chart. So if you've never pulled your astrological birth chart, you can do that for free online. My favorite website is Chani Nicholas. Um, She's an astrologer and she reads in the same house system that I do. So it makes a lot of sense to look those up. You can also get a reading with me and we can break it down together. But if you're just wanting to pull it at a super basic level, look at your birth chart. Get that to see who am I? Who am I at a soul level? Who am I preconditioning of life, preconditioning of, you know, parents and partners and jobs, like who are you at a soul level? That will never change. That stays the same. 
What's happening in the sky will dance with what's happening in your chart. They will impact that sky setting, you know, what's happening in the astro, will impact your individualized chart in a specific way. Different than your neighbor, different than your partner, different than anyone else in your life because everyone is so individualized based on their birth chart. So how you can see where this impacts your chart, what area of your life will be impacted based on what's happening, what astro event is happening, is your houses. Okay? So I'm going to explain this in the best way that I can. Your planets are the players on the stage, they're the actors. So your sun is like your vibrancy, your energy source, your moon is your emotions. Those are the planets, okay? And the the sign that they're in, so your sun, say it's in the sign of cancer, the sign that it's in is the costume that it wears. So the energy source is wearing this costume of cancer. Cancer is nurturing. Cancer is motherly. Cancer is intuitive. The house that it's in is the area of your life that it's played out in the most or the stage in which it's played out in, okay? This is why rising sign is so important. Your rising sign is always your first house, and it sets all the other houses into motion. Each house represents a different area of your life. So take a second, if you don't already have your birth chart, pull it out and look and see where your houses are. Your first house, your rising sign is your physical body. It's how you show up. It's how you interact with this particular world. It's what you look like. It's the you. It's the self. The second house is money. The third house is communication. There's a different area for all these things. I won't go through them all. I've done this before in some other episodes. Um, But if you're brand new and you just want to get this idea wrapped around your head in terms of houses, houses represent different areas of your life. Google them. And there's like lots of awesome charts to see which houses mean different things within the chart. Okay. So now how do you apply that? So I'm going to talk about Pluto. Pluto going retrograde next week. And how you're going to work with that is to see, okay, what sign are we talking about Pluto moving into? Pluto is going to be retrograding into Capricorn next week. I'll tell you what that means in a second. But if you just want to find this first in your chart, look and see where is Capricorn Capricorn in your chart? Where is that? Okay, you found Capricorn. And see what house is Capricorn in your chart. Okay, Capricorn is in your 10th house. So we're going to talk about how Pluto moving back into Capricorn is impacting your 10th house, which happens to be related to your career. Okay, that's an example. Everyone is very different, but just a little astrology lesson and how you can actually work with this moving forward. Okay, let's talk about Pluto moving back into Capricorn. First of all, what does Pluto represent? Pluto is the planet of power, of destruction, of grief, of our shadows, of death. These are the things that are hard. They're hard for us. And ultimately, they're part of life, right? Exploring some of the underbelly of the things um, that make us human. And Pluto asks us to look straight on into these areas, We have felt a big shift as a collective when Pluto went from Capricorn earlier in the year into, wait, Aquarius. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Now I'm getting my retrogrades messed up. So it was in Capricorn for many, many years. And then what's the actual date? Pluto went into Aquarius on March 23rd and it's been there since then. Okay. That was a big shift for the collective. There was a lot of energy and questioning around what power 
needs to be taken down in order for, you know, the humanity of our world to rise up. Aquarius is about the people. It's about the betterment of the people. And so we got just a very small taste of what needs to happen, what needs to be kind of blown up in order to grow and expand as a humanity. Okay. So that was very much a collective thing that we're just truly starting to get a taste of. But because Pluto is now going retrograde, it's going backwards. It's re-entering Capricorn. It has been here for many, many years. And so we have this familiarity around this particular energy. Now, what does this mean for you? Because Pluto deals so much with this area of shadow, this is a great time to do some reevaluating around your shadow and specifically where your self-destructive behaviors might be. Self-sabotage, that talk, that negative self-talk, um, procrastination, the things that like you know ultimately hold you back, that you are holding yourself back in. Capricorn is going to ask us to do that, is going to ask us to do a little bit of review. Whenever a planet retrogrades, we get to go back and we get to review. We often can point fingers at retrogrades and be like, oh, this happened because of retrograde. Well, in fact, no, we're getting the privilege to go back and do a little bit of tweaking here and there. So knowing that the planet of power, the planet of shadow, of grief, of the tougher things in our lives, the secrets, the deep down things, is moving back into Capricorn, this sign of being able to be successful gives us this time to do some reflection and where are we self-sabotaging ourselves? What is coming in, getting in our own way? What are we doing to ourselves that are making that possible? So do a little self-discovery on this. Um, it will be here from July 10th until October 10th. So you have some time to do this review. And the thing about Pluto is that it's a slow moving planet. So these are not going to be like bombastic energy shifts. You're not necessarily going to feel it on a personal level all the time, but you might feel that subtle call to do some evaluating in this area. Now, if you want to bring it to that personalized level, like I was talking about, get your birth chart and see where is Capricorn in your chart? What house is Capricorn falling in in your chart? So let's say again, it's 10th house. You're going to say, where am I self-sabotaging myself in career? Where am I holding myself back? If it's say in the seventh house, maybe it's like, where am I holding myself back in my relationships with my romantic partnerships? If this is so confusing, you're like, Ashley, please explain it to me one more time. Shoot me a DM. I'm so happy to, or do, let's get a reading on the calendar because this is so fun once it clicks, but it does take a little bit of time to get it figured out. So check out your houses to see where is this Pluto in Capricorn hitting you? What area of your life? So that happens on July 10th. Um, it's not like the biggest transit of your life. It's not going to change your life. It's just this call to do some self-discovery. Try that on this thing. Maybe do a little journaling, sit outside and ask yourself like, where am I holding myself back? Okay. Let's talk about books. <laughs> Good, quick transition. I love hearing what you are all reading this month. If you are getting time to read, I get the question a lot from listeners, from friends, like, where do you find time to read? And the truth is, I love reading so much that I do prioritize it over other forms of entertainment. If I'm being completely honest, I am a homebody. I'm a cancer son. I don't do like a ton of socializing in the sense that like I don't go out, especially at night. <laughs> 
<laughs> I am not in my going out era. So that is, that's how I have all this time to do some reading. And I'll usually, as far as my reading routine goes, put the kiddos to bed. They usually go to bed between like seven and eight. And from eight until maybe even like 1030, I will read. And it is such a joy. It gives me energy, not necessarily before I go to bed, but and then I look forward to it all day. And it gives me this like dopamine hit throughout the day that I have this special thing. I'm going to talk about energy later. And reading has been really integral in helping with this and helping me find energy and where the biggest impact has come is that it gives me something to look forward to at the end of the night that isn't that evening glass of wine. This is what helped me kick that particular habit because I wanted to kick it. And we'll talk about that later, but it was really something I got to look forward to in place of, of something else. So self-care reading is the jam. I learned recently, friends, that reading fiction is one of the best things that you can do to bring more plasticity to your brain. So what does that mean? That means that your brain has the ability to change based on some of these habits and some of these things that you do to keep it fresh, to keep it strong, to keep it resilient. Reading specifically fiction is one of those things. I'll, I'll link up an article from Psychology Today on this. Um, and when I learned this this week, I was just like, blown away because I ultimately knew this was making me more focused, was making me a little bit more like cognitively crisp, but I couldn't, I wouldn't have said, oh, it's from reading my smutty novels at night. Like I would never have thought that, but there's some serious science behind it. So the next time someone says like, oh, like what a waste of time. No, this is truly, truly one of the best things that you can do for your brain and for your health. Book update number one. So I read how many books? Five books this month, this past June, and that's pretty on par. Some of the books that I've been reading are like really, really big. And I don't have any thoughts on whether like long books. It's kind of nice to like mix them up, like a series of like really big books and then some shorties in there to keep it fresh, keep it going. Um, but I read a lot of books that are like on the bestsellers list recently just to you know, see what people are talking about. And I was impressed. I was actually very impressed and I can't wait to share one specific one with you. So first book that I read in June was Archer's Voice. And this is like one of those books that people die over. They're obsessed with. I actually, so I asked my fellow yoga teacher at the studio who likes to read like I do, what are you reading? Like, what's your favorite book of all time? And she said, Archer's Voice. And I've heard this from a lot of people. I love the book. thought it was great. I think I gave it four stars. Um, and while, you know, I loved the characters, I loved the storyline, to me it felt pretty unbelievable. Like this like probably wouldn't happen. Some of the dialogue and like the plot itself wasn't super believable. And frankly, like books don't need to be believable to be enjoyable. I think that's why we like them is because they are not real life. But to me, it almost, it felt like a movie. It felt like a movie that's a real movie. <laughs> you know who I'm quoting right now. Because there was so much romanticism to it. Um, there was, you know, a real sadness to it at the same time. So the plot is that this young girl who's gone through something really traumatic moves away to get away. She meets this man who can't speak um, right when she moves to this to the city and they develop a relationship. And from there, it really unfolds and there's so much to it. And what I learned via book talk, of course, is that this is part of like many other books within a series. 
And it's just one. You think it, it seems like a standoff book, but it's actually part of other things. I haven't read any of the other books in the other series. Um, but if you love it and you want to try some other ones, she's written several others as well. So four out of five stars, Archer's Voice. Really enjoyed it. It has some good um, spice, but it's really like the characters are really lovable. And it's fun to see them grow and expand. Second book that I read, um, another very popular one. I'll give the two books that I read this month that were like bestsellers that I've seen all over the bestsellers list was The Housemaid and Fourth Wing. Let's talk about The Housemaid first because that is not something I normally read, like a thriller vibe, but it was great and I'm glad I did. It got me off sort of a little bit of a rut in the area of just kind of the same old, same old. So The Housemaid is a thriller by a long shot. I, I do feel like you can see with thrillers, like you you do kind of know what's coming. I mean, I feel like I do. And there's, you know, even maybe don't know the plot twist at the end, but like you know that there's something weird going on like from the minute you start reading. And that was the case in this book. It's a story. Now, if I get to remember, because it's been a little while, she, this woman um, hires somebody to help in her house to like to be ultimately a maid, but like help with all sorts of things, cleaning up, cooking, like um, having, taking a little bit of childcare here and there. And the woman, the the woman that owns the house, like hires this other woman that happens to be an ex-convict. And so she's kind of like stuck in this job because she can't get a job anywhere else. So she starts working and she finds out really quickly that the woman that has hired her is very unwell, is just kind of like off her rails and does all these really crazy things. And the plot thickens and lots comes out after that. It, it It's a quick read. It's a nice thing to just like, okay, weekend vibes, like want to read something that's going to keep you turning the page. This is a good one. Again, I kind of could see what where it was going and it twisted well in the end. There is a second book to this particular series that I haven't read either, but recommend if you liked this one. Okay, the book that I cannot wait to tell you about that I just finished a couple days ago. And please, 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 if you've read this too, please let me know because I know a lot of you have been reading this. It's Fourth Wing, okay? Fourth Wing, all up on the Amazon charts, bestsellers list. Obsessed. Obsessed. If you've loved or you started reading any of the Akitar books, The Court of Thorns and Roses, because of our book talk episode that we did several episodes ago, this is your next one on the list. Read the Akitar books and then add this one as right away. My friend Kara is reading this right now too, and she's like, I don't know what's in it. Like, I can't put it down. It has that vibe. There's something about it that pulls you in. Is it the best writing that you've ever read? No, it's, I mean, it's great, but it's not like, it's not Sarah J. Mass. It's not Quarter Thrones and Roses, but it's still just as enticing as all of these others. And the second book will come out in November. So start it now knowing that like you'll get some satisfaction in that second book. It's plotted for five books. So if you know you're loving it, know that this is going to be like a long road till we get <laughs> till the end of the series. So Fourth Wing about it's like who would ever thought the funny story about this is like my daughter will see the books that I'm reading and she's she's like, "Mom, why are you reading a book about dragons? Like you don't seem like you like dragons to me." And she's right. Like, I would never have thought to have read a book about dragons, but here we are. So it's a book about kind of this, this war-torn world in which it feels very divergent, in which people have to go into different quadrants um, based on their gifts. So there's the rider quadrant where individuals will will 
really learn to be warriors and to ride dragons, okay? There's a healer's quadrant. There's um, – what are some of the other ones? Like infantry, infantry, whatever, like weapons, whatever that word is. <laughs> Um, oh, and then the scribe, the scribe quadrant, which is those that like capture history, like they're writing things down and they all have importance, but ultimately you kind of know where you're going to land based on your upbringing and your gifts. And so the, the main character, Violet is really meant to be a scribe. Her dad had really seasoned her to be a scribe, but her mother wants her to be a writer. And so she goes into this writer quadrant, which is basically like a death trap. It's this very challenging university for war. And she goes and has to to cross this, this huge, they call it like a parapet. So you're parapet, parapet. I'm struggling with words today, but it's this like long, very thin wall that she has to cross over. Otherwise, if she falls into like the Grand Canyon, she dies upon the very first day of even getting there. Spoiler, she makes it and she goes to, to school at this university. So you follow her in her development as becoming this amazing writer. And, and there's more, so much more to it, but there is a love interest that is so good and so well-written and so like just empowering. If I learned anything about Akatar, about Court of Thorns and Roses and the books that I've read that I love when it comes to like fantasy romance is that there is a female and she is a warrior. She is fierce. She stands up for herself and she has a male, a partner who brings that out in her, who is able to cheer her on and make her better. So hop on fourth wing immediately because it is, it's like crack. It's so good. And I can't wait to, to hear if you guys have tackled it and if you're on to pre-ordering the next one, because it comes out in November. So Lots of good books on the bestsellers list at the moment. What else did I ring? Oh, the last thing that I started, which I will talk about a lot more next month, is I started Throne of Glass, the series Throne of Glass, which is another Sarah J. Moss series. Same author as Court of Thorns and Roses. I haven't read this series yet, obviously. I'm brand new to it. This is when she was still – this was her first series when she was writing teen fiction. And I like – it's very, I mean, it's not like too mature, I would say, for teens by any means, but it is like complex. Her world building is so beautiful and complex that I'm like, if I read this when I was a teen, I would have gotten like way over my head. But it's great. I'm loving it so far. So I'll report back on that one. If you haven't read that series, um, maybe you want to start it. I'm on book three now. And there are like six within this whole series, six or seven based with there's a prequel. Um, and it's, I'm really enjoying it as, as I would expect with Sarah J. Moss. Do I love it as much as Court of Thrones and Roses? I don't think so, but who knows? I'm only on book three. And apparently that's like kind of the next book, book four is when it really starts to take shape. If there's anything about these fantasy romance novels or fantasy novels in general is that this is like real world building. And a lot of these early books are just giving you this ability to know the characters and to see a world being built in your head. And again, if that doesn't stimulate something within your brain, I don't know. I don't know what does. This really gives me like, this is like my TV watching right now is the ability just to watch and um, see what happens, what comes out of my brain as I'm putting this all together. So book updates for you all. I've been hearing again from a lot of you that you're on this journey as well, and I love to hear it. 
All right, friends, the topic at hand for today's episode is to talk about energy, having enough energy to do the things that we want to do in our life. And this is a question, it's something that I get questions about all the time, is how can I have more energy, right? How can I feel that I can do all the things that I want to do in a day? How can I have enough energy to take care of myself? Like, how can I have enough energy to do the workouts and to make food and to meal prep and also like be there for my family? And friends, if this is not the ultimate question, I don't know what is because I'm with you. It's been such a journey to figure this out. Now, I have lots of ideas and things that have worked for me, but I want to just preface that this is extremely individualized and there's lots of things that can contribute to feeling energized. In the birth chart, we look to the sun to understand where is your energy source? What sign is your energy? Kind of like flavor is that in? For me, it's cancer. It's being at home. It's spending time with my kids. It's knowing that I need to be nurtured just as much as I need to nurture others. So knowing just a little bit about your sun sign can help in this area. And again, it's so individualized. The second thing I'll say about energy is that there are times in your life when you'll have more than others, right? You'll have a lot of energy. You're Maybe you're young, and you're in college and you have the energy to like go out and have fun and still get up really early and do a workout and go to class and do all the things, right? Like I was there too. But then there's other times when you don't have as much. Maybe you're postpartum or maybe you're just feeling like that low that you're going through something. And so it ebbs and flows and there's no perfection to this. But there are some simple things that you can do to, you know, hack your body, to nurture your body and able to in order to have energy to do a lot of the things that you want to do. For me, it has been probably a man, it's been like a five, six year journey to figure this out. And it started when I was postpartum with my second daughter, Rory. I felt so low energy. And I've talked about this a lot in terms of postpartum, but I knew that there was something that was off in terms of just like my body's um, ability to function, to like get up and do the things every day. It was so hard to get out of bed. I felt sluggish all the time. I felt tired. I had brain fog, fog, all the things. So first and foremost, for me, I needed to figure out some of my own health um, challenges, some of the things that were throwing me off. And I worked with an integrative health clinic, specifically Minneapolis Integrative um, Medicine Center, who I love, love. And they helped me to identify a couple things that were really impacting my personal health. So again, this is a baseline. If you're not feeling good, it's can be helpful to do a little bit of more research before you move into like, oh, I guess I'm just a low energy person, right? There can be definitely like underlying issues. For me, it was a major gut dysbiosis. I had something called um, yeast overgrowth, which is candida. And then I had some hormonal imbalances from postpartum. So we worked on that over the course of a few years. This is not like, these are not quick fixes. Um, And again, it's so, so individualized, but it was something that helped me to figure out like, okay, I've got some of these things to work through first and foremost. When I got it back online, um, I felt so energized again. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is something that like, this feels so good. Like take a snapshot. I want to feel like this all the time. And then I went through something really heartbreaking. I went through the miscarriage of my twins and that energy plummeted, plummeted. And I mean, it's depression, right? Like when you struggle with not being able to do anything and you feel that low of low, that's that was crippling for me. And energy went away. And I want to say this because 
we've all had ebbs and flows. And when we hear people sometimes talking about like, I have all this energy, I do all these things, it's not the full picture. There's lots and ups and downs. That was a low point, but it also gave me ultimately like a rock bottom to figure out where to go from there. And that's when I I really felt this starting to click into place. I started to take on um, the commitment to my well-being in terms of like the simple things that I needed to do in order to feel good on a day-to-day basis and to feel healed, to feel ready to tackle new things, to get that energy back and keep it sustained. Now, when I was pregnant, it was a struggle. My body doesn't do like super well when I'm pregnant. I was so tired, but I knew what the baseline was. I knew what it felt like. And so I got to tackle this bit by bit. Here are the things that I've learned, again, over the course of this like five year about things that give me energy, things that make me feel energized and excited. So I'm going to give you the big ones first, the big ones that have helped me. Then I'll give you some other like little ones that you can try on as well, see if they they work for you. First and foremost, I'm going to give you the hardest one first. This is the one that sucks the most, and I wish it wasn't true, but for me, the number one thing in improving my energy was to take away alcohol. And if you, if I would have thought that I would be sitting on this microphone telling you that taking alcohol out of my life would improve my energy several years ago, I, I would have laughed. I would have, like, are you kidding? My relationship with alcohol over the years has been interesting, as many of us, I imagine, have dealt with. Um, I've talked about it a lot on the show that I really wanted to pull away from alcohol, but it was not that easy. And it still isn't. It's just that over time, I was so, it was so obvious how much it made me feel like crap. And I always thought, like, when I was pregnant, I wasn't drinking that, oh, you know, just when I'm done, I'll be able to consume again. And that will be great. Right. But what I didn't realize is that, like, I was associating not drinking was still feeling like crap because I was pregnant. So I'd never known what it felt like to not really drink at all and feel super good until after Stella this last year. Every time I would have anything, like a glass of wine, one glass of wine, anything, I felt so awful. Like not necessarily in the moment, but the next day, it would just be like this like low-grade nausea, kind of a headache. My body was saying no. It was saying no in such a like loud way that I could not ignore it. That being said, it's hard. It's really hard to not consume alcohol, especially when the rest of the world around you is consuming it. I always felt I'm like, oh, I feel like I'm like that girl who's like thinks she's better than everyone else by not drinking. And in fact, like it's my personal choice. I get to do what I want. So I decided to pull back and I found some really great alternatives for things that I enjoy. Um, I love the Balance, B-L-N-C-D. They've, she's been on the show before. Um, they're CBD drinks, so I'll have one of those sometimes instead. What I noticed is that over time, I started to get more energy, especially in the morning. And that feeling of like wanting to have a drink, wanting to like be social and have a drink, it just it went away. And it took some time. Um, Was it super hard this time around? Not as much because I felt so awful when I did have it. It wasn't even worth it for me anymore. That being said, am I completely like so, would I ever put a label of sober on myself? No. I, I think that's like, I'm not, you know, putting labels on anything. I haven't struggled with addiction in a personal level. I have 
you know, family members and friends that have, and I understand that on a deep level, but I am personally not in that position to label myself. But do I want to stay away from alcohol? Yeah, because it's made such a difference. So soapbox, done. But if that's, you know, if I want to get the hard stuff, the honesty out first, that has been one of the most impactful things that has helped my energy come back online in the last year. Number two, this one's way easier. Morning sunshine. I talk about this endlessly and it flipping works. I cannot, I cannot preach it enough. Getting outside in the morning to get sunlight into your eyes is one of the easiest and most impactful things that you can do for your health. It sets your circadian rhythm into motion. It gives you that vitamin D. It gives you that energy. It tells your body to spike the cortisol, the good cortisol in the morning so that you can wake up and you can start your day and you can be, you know, okay, like in that high energy state right away. And then it slowly starts to wind down as you get ready for bed. Um, This is where, you know, the actual rhythm, the natural rhythm of a 24-hour cycle starts. When you get that sunlight, you trigger to your body that like you can, you can start your day. You've been outside. So I'll sit outside at first thing in the morning. When I wake up, I'll grab a coffee. It's usually a decaf and I'll talk about that in a moment. And I'll just sit and I'll do my meditation with my eyes open. So habit stacking, got all the things, got my water just sitting there. And I'll try to wake up. Honestly, lately, I've been only waking up at like 6.45. I've needed a little bit more sleep at night. Waking up to 15 minutes of sitting outside and that's it. Game changer. I saw this impact myself, but also when Stella was a newborn one year ago, I would sit outside with her in the morning and I saw that circadian rhythm set into motion for her too. It took maybe like only a week or two for her to figure out nights and days because we were so much in that sunlight in the morning and then we would close it down at night and like get really dark at night. So sunlight in the morning, number two, my most impactful energy hack. Number three, sleep hygiene. Just kind of mentioned that here in terms of getting a room ready for sleep. I didn't realize how like poorly I was sleeping until I started to sleep better. I think that's the thing about a lot of the things we're going to talk about today around energy is you don't even realize how low energy you might be until you feel good, until you have energy back and you're like, oh, this is great. Like I can do the things that I want to do. I can be high energy around my family and my job and this is awesome. But we don't always know until we're kind of out of the slump. I did not know that I wasn't sleeping very well until I started to sleep really well. (laughs) Now, pregnancy, postpartum aside, if you are not in that stage of life where you have a newborn or you're pregnant or you just have little kids like that are up a lot still, um, that's in itself a challenge and I know that very well. But let's just set that aside and talk specifically about sleep hygiene and that having a really dark room, dark and cool room makes your sleep so much better. We decided to turn down the temperature within the house and get blackout shades in everyone's bedroom. It's been such a life hack in the summer right now. It doesn't look good. Our rooms look kind of silly. Like they're just like they're not cute. Those <laughs> curtains. We even we have this like window over our bed that we covered up with um, like black sticky paper because it was so light in there. But what? has happened is that I sleep a lot deeper and I I track it with my aura ring. But even if you don't have like a sleep tracker, you'll know when you feel more rested in the morning because your sleep has been deeper. So getting that room cool, dark, 
turning off the screens at least an hour before bed um, is is one of those things that like I also know is really tough, but can make a big difference. And just doing a couple little things to wind down at night. Maybe you can take a bath. Maybe you can take a shower if you have some extra time. But getting into your reading, taking some time to turn down the lights, getting your room ready makes such a big difference for your energy the next day. So sleep hygiene, setting your morning, your evening routine into motion. I don't want any of these things to take a ton of time because we don't have time in life, right? We don't have all this extra time to be doing all these extra things. So hopefully so far, these are not taking a big time suck into your life to get some you know, blinds, turn down the temperature and just wind down makes a big difference into the next day. Number four, strength training. Strength training, I've been doing, I've been doing some form of strength training for years and years and years. As a yoga teacher, I teach a class called Yoga Sculpt where we have weights. Um, They're lightweights and we use that as part of like a cardio situation. But when I started to use like heavy weights in the last, say even six months, energy levels started to skyrocket. And I've been working on rebuilding a lot of strength within the body postpartum have pretty bad diastasis recti, which is when the muscles in the core separate and then don't come back together after after pregnancy. And so building that core strength has been like one whole piece of it. But as a part of that particular training has been this other area of like, oh, like I can build muscle in other areas too. My body's so resilient, so able to do that. And I don't know, maybe I like didn't believe it before. I don't know, but I just didn't do much strength training. And now that I do, I'm obsessed and I, it's my preferred workout. I will do two days of yoga um, and usually just tack that onto if I'm teaching a class, I'll take a class right after. Um, and then I'll do two to three days of strength training. And what I do are the Peloton strength classes. I do 30 minute, 20 or 30 minute classes. I go to the gym. I look so stupid. I get my little screen and I like do the Peloton class, like at the gym. And my gym, there's, it's just funny. It's so cute because there's a lot of like older people there, like elderly people there, and they're all super sweet. And I just feel like I'm like that girl who's like watching Peloton videos in the middle of the gym. I don't care. I love them so much. I love the classes because they're short and you can break it down to different um, body parts, whether it be like I'm going to do a leg day or I'm going to do an arm day, I'm going to do a full body. But they're, they, they work. They're hard. And I know that I can go heavier and heavier over time. So I'm adding in more weight, I'm getting stronger, and I can feel this bringing that energy level back. What we know about strength training versus say like a cardio workout. Cardio is great too. We want we want a balance of both. But with strength training, your body will continue to process, it will continue to burn calories and work even after your workout is done. And I always say this to my students when we're doing some strength training in Yoga Sculpt is that when you have more lean muscle mass, you're able to to do more. Like physically, you're able to do more and ultimately improve that energy state. As we age as women, our body really does yearn for that, that strength and that muscle building. And so that's something that I've been really conscious about is working in more strength training, leaning into it. And it's, I've seen a big difference in, in energy as I've made that a priority for myself. 
The final big one, number five, is that I have studied my menstrual cycle to figure out when my energy is high and when it is low. Now, I've done an episode on this in the past. I'll link it in the show notes. If you're new to cycle syncing, it's so much fun. There's so many ways that you can do it, so check that episode out. But what I've learned is that this is another one of those areas, just like I was talking energy, that is so individualized, bio-individualized, that I can say, hey, this is when my energy is high, and that will be literally the opposite of when your energy is high because our bodies are so, so individualized. So for me, I've studied this endlessly. I have an aura ring which which tracks temperature in the morning, and I link it up to my app, um, Natural Cycles, so I can see where I am in the cycle. You don't even need those things. If you're somebody who kind of knows where your general cycle is, you can feel this. You can feel this within your body of like, okay, this is what's happening. I have a lot more energy now, or maybe I'm a little bit sluggish at this time. Just doing a little bit of study around the cycle when your energy peaks are and leaning into those. Hey, I'm high energy. I can lift more. I can do a little bit of a longer workout or, hey, I'm at a lower energy spot and I'm going to just go for a walk today instead of do any lifting. I'm going to take some time. I'm going to sleep in a little bit. So check out that episode on cycle syncing. It's one of my favorite topics to talk about. Again, so, so, so individualized. And I, I want to give an example of this because it is really easy for you know Instagram and TikTok to say, okay, your follicular phase, which is that first early part of the your cycle, is going to be high energy. And in fact, like it might not be for you. It might be different. For me, ovulation, which is supposedly kind of the peak of the cycle, is one of the lowest energy times in my entire cycle. I feel so bloated. I just feel kind of like not great. And so I know that around those one or two days that like, yeah, I might be more magnetic. I might be able to like sell on something, but I don't have a ton of energy to like go out and bust a big workout and spend like doing even like lifestyle things or like going on an adventure with my kids, like maybe not going to do that on ovulation day because I don't feel up to it. It doesn't feel good. So again, extremely individualized, being able to know where you are in your cycle is, is a major hack as it comes to energy. Okay. Let's talk about a couple of the small things that I've learned over time that work for me. And maybe you can try some of these on as well. Number one is delaying caffeine in the morning. Now you're like, what? Like that's counterintuitive. What we know about caffeine is that it's kind of this like artificial way to boost that energy source in the morning. What we want is a natural progression of energy right when you wake up in the morning. You want that cortisol to be its highest that it's going to be throughout the day. And then it starts to wane as you move through your day, as your day starts to end. So we want cortisol to come up. But if we're constantly relying on something like caffeine to get the energy up, it's not going to click in naturally. And so delaying caffeine, even an hour, 30 minutes, couple hours, can remind your body that it has to produce its own energy right away in the morning. Now, I love a ritual of a coffee in the morning, so I wasn't about to get rid of that by any means. Instead, I'll just grab a, a decaf and I'll have that as I'm doing my little morning relaxation. It ends up being about like 30, 45 minutes before I actually grab caffeine. And I try to do that with some food so I don't not consuming it on an empty stomach. And it's just a great way to, again, bring that natural production of cortisol in the morning. Um, Andrew Huberman does lots of episodes and TikToks and YouTubes on this topic and on morning light viewing if you want to get more of the science behind it. But again, just delaying caffeine a little bit can make a really big difference in your energy in the morning specifically. Number two, cold showers. Another one that like people hate. You either love it or you hate it. But if you don't have a cold plunge, you're not a celebrity who has like a cold plunge in your backyard, which like I'm not. 
I will just take a, a cold shower and it wakes me up so much. It gives that energy. It's something that like is very stimulating. So I wouldn't do it if you're somebody who likes doing this. I wouldn't do it like after two if you're going to do a workout, mosey around, get some stuff done in the house and then take your shower. Make sure you're doing it in the morning because it's very stimulating. But it gets the body – it gets the body going. It feels that like euphoric sense. It feels really amazing. I just tack it on to my regular shower. So I'll take a shower and then at the end – I will turn on extremely cold water and like the coldest it will get. And I'll stand under the cold shower for usually I'll count to 90. I'll do 90 seconds. And like it feels so good. It's it's pretty amazing. I'll do this in the winter, I'll do this in the summer, and it gets me energized. Lots of science on cold immersion and why it's good. Um, and I won't quote any of that because I'm not a scientist, but for me, it's something that brings a lot of energy my way. Number three. Yoga poses that open up the front line of the body. So if you're watching on YouTube, I'm opening up my heart space right now. I'm opening up this front line of the body. And that's another really stimulating thing that you can do to get energy flowing in your day. We spend so much of our day like this, like hunched over a computer or a phone or even like our kids and our our work. We're leaning in and sort of crouching over our life. And by opening up the heart space, the front line of the body, we're allowing some of that junk, energetic junk, even just stiffness to open up, to pull the shoulders back and to be open and giving and energized. It's exposing our vital organs. So this is a vulnerable position to be in, to be exposed all the time. And that, you know, that can be a lot. So know that if you're going into a pose, say like camel pose, can be kind of a lot and it might be almost overwhelming, but the more that you know, you can catch yourself throughout the day. Do a little bit of heart opening. Some, like I mentioned, camel pose is a really good one. You can do bridge pose. You can do a gentle back bend. So many great poses that open up the front line of the body. Um, that can bring a little bit of energy, a little spark of energy throughout the day. This is this and like a um, a couple other ones here, like meditation, water. Those are going to be the ones that you're going to want to do around that like two, three o'clock part in your day where you're like, you feel the energy slump, reach for some of these. Number four, meditation. Meditation, I don't know that it directly gives me energy and that like when I do meditation, I have energy. What it does, it alleviates a lot of the stress that sucks my energy dry. So I am very stressed by my kids, as many mothers are. They bring me a lot of joy, but they also bring me a lot of stress because that is life. And so when I have just a little bit of time in the morning to do my guided meditation, I am less stressed and more resilient later in the day. It's it's pretty interesting to see, you know, like heart rate on a day where I'm spending time with kids and when I'm at home not spending time with kids. My heart rate is up like a lot when I'm working with the kids or when I'm just spending time with them because there's I'm doing so much. And so I know on any given day, but especially on those days where I might be stressed a little bit, I might be exerting myself, giving a little bit of meditation in the morning will make a really big difference. So I talk about the meditations that I've done um, for many, many years, and that are the, the guided meditations, the deep imaginings from To Be Magnetic. I love, love, love that platform. Um, but some of the other really great ones that I always recommend are my friend Kelly um, from Yoga For You Online. She has a podcast called Mindful in Minutes, and she has free meditations on this podcast, and they're so great. They're short. 
Um, and they're just a great way to start the day. I love hers. I love my friend Gina has more like deep imagining hypnosis meditations. Um, her podcast is Past Lives in the Divine. So a couple resources if you're looking for some meditations. And then the final one that I always recommend is Joe Dispenza's morning meditation, which I believe is like 22 minutes. So it's not, I mean, it's not super short, but it's a great way to start the day. Um, there's all, you know, all lengths and all of these different types. So try some on that feel good for you. But meditation, again, helping that stress resiliency, ultimately reserve some of my energy for the things I actually want to do. One more, and that is water. <laughs> I talk about this so much, just like morning viewing, but water, it's just, our bodies are tired and they're, and they're totally dehydrated. And so water, sometimes throwing in some electrolytes, I love element is a great way to bring that energy up because your body's just needing it, needing a little bit of sustenance, needing that to keep going throughout the day. This is like a little bit of a tangent, but do you guys remember like when we were growing up, we weren't carrying around water bottles. That's definitely like, I'm just holding up mine right here. Is that something that like developed in the last 10 years? Like my kids bring water bottles to school. Like everyone always has a water bottle with them, which is great. But like, what did we do in the eighties? Did we have them? Were we hydrated? Like what were we doing? Seriously, don't know. Maybe that's why like the food industry was struggling in the 80s and had a lot to figure out. We were all just very dehydrated. <laughs> oh, so those are my my quick tips on ways to bring some energy. I want to talk finally about what I've noticed, like what has been the difference when I've prioritized energy and I've made some of these changes. Here's where you know, you kind of come out on the other side. So I saw a low. I had a time where I felt that I'm the lowest energy that I've ever felt due to a lot of things, hormones, depression, sadness, right? Those can bring energy down. And ultimately, it's a matter of building that back up. And what it felt feels like on the other side for me is that I have enough energy to make it through the whole day without the need to like take a nap or to hide from my family, which maybe have to hide for other reasons, but not because I've run out of energy. I sit down at the end of the night to read my book and I have the energy to read my book. That was not always the case. I don't know if you ever had that feeling where you're like, you're sitting on the couch and you're so tired that you can't even get up to go to bed. That was my reality for a very long time. And that has gone away. I've noticed significantly that like, I get excited and I have energy when I sit down to do that final routine. And when I go to lay down into bed, most nights, 90% of the time, I'm going to fall right asleep. My body's tired, but it's not exhausted in the sense that like I can't function anymore. When I started working with my health coach, Marwa, which I've also done an episode with, that was kind of the goal. It's like, I want to have enough energy and I want to feel strong enough to get to the end of the day and not be depleted. And really we're able to do that through a number of these um, lifestyle habits, the big and the small. So this is what it feels like for me on the other side. And hopefully if you're able to try on some of these things, you feel that as well. Finally, before we conclude this episode, I wanted to just bring up some of the things that suck my energy. So even though I might have a ton of energy in the day from these simple lifestyle changes, there's still things that kind of suck my energy dry. First, mental load. Now, we as mothers know that this is the case, that there's just so much happening. I mean, a lot of us, whether you're a mother or you're a working woman or just like you're in that caretaker mentality, 
there's so much going through your head at any given time and that's exhausting. And one of the ways that I'm actively working to combat that is to delegate, to delegate a lot more. Recently, my husband and I sat down and we did um, the Fair Play deck. So Fair Play is a book in which talks about this, about the mental load that specifically a mother carries within a household, how much is on them, all the tasks that they do, but also how much they have to think about those tasks, the invisible labor, the little things, the little things like you know, who's going to take care of the gifts for the kid's friends' birthdays, like who's going to be the tooth fairy, who's going to make sure that their their backpacks are cleaned out at the end of the day. These are little things that we do and we don't even realize that we're doing, right? And so getting super clear about who has what tasks, who does them so that that other person does not have to think about it is one of the best things that we've ever done. We did We read this book years ago, like four, maybe three years ago, loved it, delegated tasks, and more recently realized that like, "Mm, this was getting a little muddy again. We need to do it again. So we got the deck. There's a fair play deck where you just divide out like, okay, you've got this task and this task and this task, and there's no questions. So for example, my husband does the dishes. He does the cooking because I'm a terrible cook. He does the garbages. Those are the things like when it comes to like regular household every day, he rocks it. I don't think about it. I think about a lot of other things, a ton of other things, but like, I don't have to think when I see that garbage is full. I'm like, "Mm, no, not mine. Not my job. (laughs) Highly recommend the fair play deck or just reading that book. If you don't have time to read the book, you can just get the deck and divide these things out. Having a supportive partner is step one, um, in, in mental load and being able to delegate to, to your partner. Maybe it's your kids, maybe it's other people that you live with. Um, but you don't have to carry it all. That's very depleting. Number two, clutter. I know it, like, this is another personalized thing, but for me, like, clutter in the house is one of the things that sucks my energy dry. If I have too much junk, like the toys, oh my gosh, just, I can't. It's too much stress for me to look at. So I hide a lot of things. Like, we have a lot of compartments where I'll hide toys and I don't have to look at them, but I try to throw really regularly to get rid of things that are broken, to get rid of stuff. And I don't feel like I need a lot of extra things. This has meant that I have cleaned up my closet to kind of a lot, not much. It's, it's pretty minimal these days. Like, I did get my new. Taylor Swift merch at the show. But for the most part, I kind of wear the same things like every day. It's a lot of oversized sweatshirts and biker shorts. And, you know, I'm looking at expanding into being in the office a little bit more coming up. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to have like two to three outfits that I just rotate and I love them. And that's what works. So it's like capsule wardrobe, things where you just, you don't have to think about clutter. You don't have to think about all the decisions. Um, that can take time to, to have to to do energy and time in the day. And that leads me to my final, and that's decision fatigue. It can be very energy sucking. So things like what are we going to eat for dinner or like what am I going to wear today or what, am, what workout am I going to do? Those things can be very time consuming and very energy consuming. So setting up some systems that take that away has been really helpful for me, capsule wardrobing, delegating the meal planning to my husband. I do the grocery shopping. He tells me what we need to get, but ultimately like he's doing the meal planning that takes off my list and just taking some of that decision fatigue. If I know that I have like my workout outfit set out the night before, 
then that's ready to go. I don't have to think about that particular step in the morning. Reducing the decisions on a day-to-day basis is such a life hack and it saves a lot of energy. So, so much energy, so so much energy, so much information today. Hopefully this was helpful, friends. Again, this is my personal experience. I'm not a doctor. I am a health coach that is almost done with training. And so this is something I think about a lot. It's something that I talk with a lot of clients about. And I know that these have made a big difference in my life. And so I hope that they they do in yours. Let me know what you think. Let me know what works for you. If there's something outside of these particular ideas, shoot me a DM. I'd love to hear from you. And finally, friends, if this area is something you're like, I want to get, I want to figure this out for myself. Like I want to figure out how I can have more energy and I can be ready to tackle my life. I can do the things that I want to do. I can work all day. I can spend time with my kids. I can read my books and still feel like, yeah, I did it. Should I like not be dead completely at the end? Let's talk because there is something very specific about energy, very individualized, and we can figure that out in one-on-one sessions. Um, So I'm just opening. You're the first to hear opening up my my health coaching platform and the ability to be able to work one-on-one with you in these areas. You can set up a 15-minute consultation call, discovery call, and we can talk through kind of what you're thinking and decide if working together is something that you want to do. Again, I'm just starting out, so getting getting all of this you know, figured out, but it's been so much fun to work with a number of you as I'm in my training, and I'm so excited to finally be launching it in a more formal, formal way. So energy is key, and I know that many of you are working with it. Let's talk. Let's talk a little bit more how we can make this work for you. Thanks for being here, everybody. Thanks for listening to me and my face talking for an hour on all of these things. I'm so glad that you're part of the Yoga Magic community. I will be here next week with a guest and I hope you tune in. Thank you so much.